I think it's only natural when people come to church that often they come, or I guess we come, really loaded down with the heaviest questions in life. Is there a God? If there is a God, does He care about me? In the middle of all of my problems, is God for me? Can my life have purpose? Do I matter? But by far and away, the most important question any of us are asking this morning is what are we going to have for lunch? Because I know some of y'all have already rolled that around in your mind today, haven't you? So what are you going to have for lunch? Let's talk about it. We're thinking about it. What, what's on the menu today? Some of you are blessed and highly favored because you get to eat today at Mom's Country Kitchen. And there's roast, potatoes, carrots, rivers of sweet tea, and lemon meringue pie with meringue as tall as this pulpit waiting for you. Somebody give me a witness. And if you are the mom who prepared all of that, take a nap during church. You've earned it, all right? Some of you have got a hankering for Mexican food. Right? And, man, Mexican food on Sunday after church is so good. That'll lead into the nap really, really well. The problem with eating Mexican food on Sundays is that you'll smell like fajitas until Wednesday. We have some folks in our church that have a standing reservation at full moon every Sunday afternoon. If you're going to full moon today, try the catfish. You won't regret it. But do you know where you're not eating for lunch today? Chick-fil-A. Because you know that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, right? There's no ice cream cone waiting for you. No waffle fries. No Chick-fil-A sandwich with extra pickles. None of those little chicken minis with a chicken nugget on that little piece of manna. None of that. It is not their pleasure to serve you today. But why would a multi-bajillion dollar business like Chick-fil-A that sits in a very, very highly competitive industry willfully choose to frustrate their customers by not being open on Sunday and more importantly choose to limit their revenue to that extent by saying we are going to just off the bat, we are going to cut off one-seventh 14 point whatever percent of our income by refusing to be open on Sundays. Why would they do that? Doesn't that seem to contradict everything that we think we know about what life is about and what work is about and what business is for? Why would they close on Sundays? Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, gave the answer in his biography, which is named Eat More Chicken. Of course it is. He said about their business, quote, We were not so committed to financial success, however, that we were willing to abandon our principles and priorities. One of the most visible examples of this was our decision to close on Sundays. My brother Ben and I had attended Sunday school and church all our lives, and we were not about to stop just because we owned a restaurant. He continues by saying, quote, Honoring God and directing our attention to things more important than business were the motive for why they close on Sundays. Honoring God and directing our attention to things that are more important than business. And really, the reason Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday, the reason many of you don't have to work today, 
comes directly from the commandment that we are going to consider as we continue walking through the Ten Commandments together today. The fourth commandment, to honor the Sabbath day. So let's read the Ten Commandments together this morning from Exodus chapter 20. And we'll read all of these, so we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 1. What does it mean to honor the Sabbath day? What is the Sabbath day? Why should we honor it? And how do our lives become disjointed when we disobey this command? Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. Of all of the Ten Commandments, and then the 600 plus Old Testament laws contained in the Hebrew Scriptures on top of the Ten Commandments, none of them ever got Jesus in more trouble than the Fourth Commandment to remember the Sabbath day. Now don't get me wrong. Jesus never broke that commandment. Jesus never broke any commandment, either in letter or in spirit. But this commandment for the Sabbath day was so central to Jewish life and Jewish thinking by the time of Jesus that for Jesus' hyper-religious and hyper-scrupulous enemies, they thought this was the perfect battleground where they could take Jesus down. There's an example of this in Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter 3 says, again, Jesus enters the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. By the time of Jesus, the Sabbath day was a point of pride for the Jewish people as the Jewish people. They were very much like Chick-fil-A, except instead of being closed on Sunday, they were closed for business every Saturday. Their shops shut down. They did not buy. They did not sell. They did not really move around a lot. They did not work. They would rest, maybe go to synagogue like Jesus does here, hear a Bible lesson, go home, eat lunch, sing some psalms with their family, and take a day to honor God and to rest their bodies. 
And the Jewish people recognized that this was a gift of God in his law for their good that set them apart from all the other pagans who just worked 24-7. And in their minds, they think, if we are going to honor God, we have to honor the Sabbath, which is true. But they also thought, if Jesus is going to honor God, he has to honor the Sabbath. Also true. Jesus can't be our Savior. He can't be the Messiah. He can't possibly be the Son of God if he violates the law of God. That's true. But they also knew this about Jesus. They knew what you know. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is kind. You can't put a needy person in front of Jesus and Jesus not reach out to help them. And so they think we've got the perfect trap and the perfect bait. If we can put a needy person in front of Jesus on the Sabbath day when he can't work, well, bless his heart, he can't help himself. And Jesus, out of love, will heal that person, and his love will violate the law of God, and then we've got him. Or, Jesus will be so committed to keeping the Sabbath that he will refuse to help. Come back tomorrow when I can help you. And then everybody will see that Jesus really doesn't care. They think they've got the perfect bait on the rat trap, and they think Jesus will take the bait, and they think the spring will close, and they think they've got him. What happens? Jesus, verse 3, says to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. They're not silent because they don't know the answer. They're silent because they do know it. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. What does Jesus do in that moment? Jesus points to what the Sabbath is really about. And he will use that moment to tell all of those people that thought they had him in the perfect trap that the Sabbath was not something that was given as a burden. The Sabbath was not something that was given to hurt. The Sabbath was given as a good gift from God to bring physical healing, to bring restoration, and to bring rest. Jesus goes so far as to say man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a good gift from God. And as Jesus goes that direction by thinking about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 3, he helps shape the way I want to talk about the Sabbath this morning by showing us what happens when God's will collides with our weekend. What happens when God's will for our lives crash lands into all of our weekend plans, all of the busyness of life, all of the running that we have to do, what is God actually saying to us this morning when he says, you need to honor the Sabbath? Well, I think the place to start unpacking this is by talking about what the Sabbath reveals. Jesus understood that our understanding of the Sabbath says something about how we view God, how we view life, and how we view God's commands that govern our life. So what's your initial reaction when you read this command? Honor the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What rises up in you when you hear that? Do you start to think, well, who does God think he is? Telling me what I can do with my weekend. Doesn't he know this is my time? Who does God think he is telling me what I can and can't do? Who does God think he is telling me that I have to shut down my business or shut down my working life and I have to just eliminate right off the bat one-seventh of my productivity? This commandment flies in the face of all of the pull inside of us to get on the hamster wheel, to run the rat race, 
to achieve, to accomplish, to earn, to prove ourselves. God says, stop. But do you realize that all of that feeling inside of us that says, wait a minute, God is intruding in our time. That would have been amplified so much more in the time that the Ten Commandments were given. And here's why. These people, they lived millennia before anybody ever thought about a 40-hour work week. They lived centuries before anybody thought about a two-day weekend. For these people, life meant work because work meant life. They would work themselves into the ground, trying to do enough just to get by, trying to plant their crops, trying to harvest their crops, just trying to scrape up enough to live. And all of a sudden, their God comes to them at Sinai and he says, stop. One day a week is my day. One day a week you put me first. One day a week you rest. One day a week you obey me. Who does God think that he is interfering with our weekend? Well, y'all, I want you to pay attention to what's happening in this passage. In this passage, God is not interfering in your weekend. God is inventing the weekend. This is not an obtrusive barrier to the life that we think we have to earn. This is God inviting us into rest. This is God saying, every now and then, you need to stop. You need to quit striving. You need to quit working. You need to rest. This commandment is God saying to us, you are more than just what you earn. You are more than just what you produce. You are more than just what you achieve. You are not a rat caught up in the rat race. And folks, that's good news. Because if you're in the rat race, even if you win, you're still a rat. God says, get off the hamster wheel and rest because God actually cares deeply about us. He cares about our bodies. And more importantly, He cares about our souls and the health of our hearts. And what God does in this passage of Scripture is tell people, come and enter into the rest that I want you to have. This is the life that I want you to live, a life of peace and a life of rest. And we know that, I think, because of how the Lord connects this commandment to the first week of creation. Verse number 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord. Why? Why can we not work? And, and notice how God even moves down the social strata here. Your children can't work. Your male servants, your female servants, even the animals get the day off. God cares for those on the bottom. But verse 11 says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day to make it holy. He goes all the way back to the first week of creation and relies on the Genesis narrative that we read just a moment ago in Genesis chapter number 2 where the Lord says that after the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them, on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done. He didn't rest because He was tired. He rested because He was done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now I want you to think back to the Genesis story of creation. And I want you to think about how it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.2 says that the Spirit of God, that the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God hovers on the face of the deep. God begins to speak, and He moves in the week of creation, making the sun, making the light, making land and animals and all this kind of stuff, making man on the sixth day and then resting on the seventh day. What God does in the original week of creation is a prototype for the work of God in the world. He moves from chaos to beauty. He moves from disorder to rest. 
He moves from emptiness to fullness, from nothingness to completion, for a void all the way into the fullness of his peace and shalom. That's what God is doing through all of his works in the world, bringing people into the rest that he offers. And that's why the good news of the gospel for us today is that invitation that I love to give from Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. Come unto me, all you who labor, and I will give you a job description. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you an opportunity to prove yourself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you something to do. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Folks, this is God's vision for our lives. This is the invitation of the gospel. That God reminds us we are more than the rats in the race. We are more than the hamster on the wheel. We are more than just the wage slaves who earn to pay our taxes and buy stuff. We are people invited to live the life that God has given us, a life of rest. And I want you to hear this specifically from the words of Jesus, that Jesus invites you not to striving. He doesn't invite you into discord. He doesn't invite you into conflict. He doesn't invite you to work. He invites you into rest. He invites you to rest. He invites you to stop. He invites you to enjoy the fact that he has done it all and that he has paid it all. That's why those verses from the book of Hebrews are so important. There is a rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works just as he rests from his. Today, Jesus invites you into his rest. He invites you into his rest. And when we see this commandment, we often recall at it. Or we look for ways to get around it. We look for ways to escape it. We feel like it's restrictive. We feel like it's hard. We feel like God is keeping us from something. But for people that are working themselves to death, this is a gift. It's a day to bring healing. A day to bring peace. A day to stop. Y'all, every Sunday morning of my life, I preach to people who are tired, who are exhausted, who have ran and ran and ran and are going to get up tomorrow and run and run again. And God is saying to us, I have a different vision for your life. I have a vision for your life that is peaceful. I have a vision for your life that is beautiful. I have a vision for your life where you are more than just the paycheck you earn. You are more than just the home that you've mortgaged. You are more than just the toys that you collect. But you are a creature living before me in rest that I offer. And y'all, this is a great picture and a great reminder of what the Christian life is supposed to be. And if there is no rest in our Christian life, then I wonder, are we living the life Jesus really offered us? If it's just working and doing and being productive... Are we resting? Do we realize today that God invites us to rest? Or do we recall at this as if God is keeping us from the life that we really want instead of inviting us to the life that we were made for? A good way to think about the law of God, and this commandment in particular, is to think about the law of God like a fence. Our backyard is fenced in. Well, our neighbors on every side, their backyards are fixed in. So fenced in, so they spent the money and I reaped the benefits. 
Well, the other day, I think it was actually last Sunday between our church services, Spurgeon, our dog, and I, we were outside, and we were playing fetch. And man, he is just in paradise. Throw it, he'll bring it back to you. You fight him a little bit, throw it again, and he'll just go and go and go and go until he can't go. And he's just, he's just having the time of his life. And so I've got his favorite toy, and I'm just chunking it as far as I can in the backyard. You know, I'm just railing these bombs. Well, I grab this thing from him, and he's ready. And I chunk this toy, and the wind catches it, or my aim is off, and it just sails over into my neighbor's yard over his fence. Spurgeon looks at me with some confusion. I look back at him with some confusion. But my neighbor that lives on that side, he's a travel nurse. And so he's never home. And so this situation has happened before, where the kids' toys or the dog's toys, our stuff ends up on his property. And I know how to, it's not breaking and entering, (laughs) because I don't break anything. (laughs) But uh, we'll just call it some light trespassing. So I say, okay, this is is no problem. I'll just go trespassing in his yard. I'll run in, get the toy, run back out. Everything will be good. Well, evidently. Somehow my neighbor, even though he's never home, has figured out that when he's not home, people are going in his backyard. And so he's added some security measures. And his, I couldn't get in his fence because the fence was keeping me from what I wanted. I think a lot of us view the commandments of God, whether it's the Sabbath or the Ten Commandments or in the Old Testament or the law, we think that the law of God is like this fence that's keeping us from the life that we want. What we really want is to achieve. What we really want is to chase our dreams. What we really want is to accomplish. What we really want is to make our impact. And here God has given us all of these laws and all of these rules that we just stand over and we look over and think, man, it's out there. And if I can get under or around or over the law of God, then I can finally have the life that I want. The truth is, the law of God is like a fence. But it's not keeping you out from the life that you want. It's designed to keep you into the life that you need. Freedom is found inside those fences of God's law. Freedom is found here in keeping and honoring the Sabbath from a God who wants us to rest and live in peace. To recognize that we are finite creatures. I told Amy just a second ago before I got in the pulpit, talking about some things, I said, what I really just hate is feeling any kind of weakness. Just feeling bad. Or feeling like I can't do everything that I want to get done. But y'all, we're never going to escape the fact that we are creatures. We're never going to escape the fact that we can't do it all. And that we need to rest. And we have to stop. And what God is reminding us here is that He is a good God who cares for His creatures who knows that we are creatures, and who says to us every single week, rest. But we want to get down to brass tacks, right? We hear this commandment to keep the Sabbath, and we want to say, okay, well, what can I do on Sundays? Or what can I do on Sundays? And so we have to talk about what the Sabbath reveals, but we also have to talk about what the Sabbath requires. If we are going to remember and honor the Sabbath day, what what does that mean for me every week? Now, we read this command, I know some of us do, and it, it takes us back to a time that maybe was early in our lives or a time when a time we've heard about this kind of Andy Griffith world where businesses were closed on Sundays, where everybody was Chick-fil-A. 
that it makes us think about these antiquated blue laws uh, as we think, you know, you can't buy liquor on Sunday mornings because you got to go to church for you go buy your liquor or whatever. And that's, we think this is so out of touch. This law comes from a world that just does not exist anymore. Well, the law does come from a world different than our world. This law comes, it's just, it, it can't be helpful. And so how could we ever possibly hope to enter into this? Well, if you'll notice the text of Scripture, the actual first part of this command is not about activity at all. The first part of this command is about memory. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember that you are a creature with limitations. You are a creature who can't do it all, who can't accomplish it all, who needs rest, who needs to refocus yourself on God, your maker. Remember that. Philip Graham Ryken, in his commentary on this passage, said that remembering the Sabbath day is like remembering your anniversary. I don't just remember my anniversary on December the 15th. Oh, yeah, I've got to buy some flowers and I've got to make a reservation. His point was we remember our anniversary. You remember your anniversary every time you go out for a date. Every time you buy flowers. Every time you give a little love tap in the kitchen. That's remembering your anniversary. That's what God is saying here in Exodus chapter number 20. That you remember the Sabbath as part of the weekly rhythm of your life. That you are a creature living in the reality that God has made. And get this, you are not free to redefine that reality. Because if you try to hijack this command or any command and say, well, I'm going to live in a different way on the Sabbath, then what you are doing is saying, God does not define my life, I define my life. And then you are out of harmony with how God wants you to live. And listen, y'all, that's why, this is so important, that's why the very, very first Christians flipped the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday. Make sure you get this. That on the Sabbath day, the first followers of Jesus, they were Jewish believers who believed they had to honor the Sabbath as a creation ordinance. God created the world to work towards this day of rest on the Sabbath day. And they believed that. They believed God had codified it in His law. They lived on and, 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 and honored that by refusing to work on the Sabbath. So much so that if you remember the story of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was crucified and died on a Friday, right as the Sabbath began on Friday evening. And the ladies who followed Jesus and who loved him, they did not go to prepare Jesus' body for his final burial on Saturday. And the reason they didn't was because they wanted to honor the Sabbath. Right? They, they obeyed that command. But when they went on Sunday, thank God they found out he wasn't there. Right? They found out that the tomb was empty. The angel says to them, perched up on top of that stone that was rolled away, you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. Because he is risen, as he said. And it's almost like immediately in the followers of Jesus, it clicked in their minds. The light bulb went off. And they understood what we failed to understand about the gravity of the resurrection. And that is that in that moment when Jesus died and rose again, an old world died in him and a new world was made through him. They understood that when Jesus rose again on that first Easter, he did not just rise on the first day of a new week. He rose on the first day of a new world. So, Brother Jesse, I'm not sure about this. Okay, let me prove it to you. God works for six days on the seventh day, Saturday. He stops and says, this day's holy before the Lord. 
So if on that Sabbath day God has rested after working for six days, what day did God begin creating on? Sunday, the first day of the week. It was on a Sunday when God looked out into the emptiness of the nothingness outside of himself and said, let there be light. And y'all, it was on a Sunday morning outside of Jerusalem when that same God looked into the lifeless body of his son. And before the S-U-N came up, he said to the body of the S-O-N, let there be life. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he was creating a new world in himself. A world where sinners could be forgiven. A world where we could have peace with God. A world where we could be made whole and we could have rest in him. And immediately the first Christians, who were very observant Jews, are worshiping on Sunday Observing the Sabbath on Sunday and not Saturday because they recognize God has created a new reality in Jesus. And it is our responsibility as Christians, they believed, to align at the rhythms of our life with the reality that God has made in Christ. And that's how Christians have always observed the Sabbath. By saying we worship and rest on Sunday, the first day of the week, because of the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm not surprised that the the Indian family, and they're wonderful people that run the gas station below the house, I'm not surprised that they're not in church today. I'm not surprised that they're working today. You know why? Because they're not Christians. And I'm not being mean when I say that. They'll tell you they're not Christians. What I am surprised by is how many of those who are Christians live out of harmony with the reality God has made in Christ. We do that in countless ways. We violate the Sabbath. So it's about to get real squirrely, y'all. I'm going to try my best. You pray and I'll preach. How's that? How do we violate the Sabbath? Let me just give you some ways, and this is not by any means every conceivable way. We violate the Sabbath when we don't work well the other six days of the week. Jesus, or the Lord says, six days you shall labor. I like what Arthur Pink said about this passage. He, He says, the text says, thou shalt labor, not thou mayest labor. And the point is that what happens on Sunday nights many times, what happens on Sundays is that many of us come to church and our minds are distracted with all the things that we have to do before the rat race picks up again tomorrow. And we've got to go to the grocery store. We've got to make sure the homework is done. We've got to make sure the kids have their bath. And I'm, I'm for bathing your children. I don't want your kids to stink at school tomorrow. Don't get me wrong. All I'm saying is that we've got all these other things to do because we haven't worked well the other six days God has given us. And so we don't really rest and we don't really worship. We violate the Sabbath day when we come to church unprepared to worship. For most of us, our Sabbath violations begin on Saturday night. When we're not resting well. When we're not making sure that we're prayed and ready to come to the house of God to worship on the Lord's day. Y'all know how much, man, this was a shock to me. Moving to Alabama five and a half years ago was, for me to preach on Sundays in the fall after Alabama played late games. I hate it. I hate it. Why? Because we're up late, we expend all of our emotions on watching the football game, and we violate the Sabbath when we come to worship and we're not prepared to worship. We violate the Sabbath 
when we don't rest. Some of y'all need to rest. Charles Spurgeon, that's why I named my dog after him. Charles Spurgeon said that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Like, honestly, you need to rest. I even thought about today. I really thought about, Lamar, I thought about putting my money where my mouth was and at this point in the sermon just saying, we're going to cancel everything else we've got to do today as a church and take the rest of the day off so you can actually rest the rest of the day. But then I thought to myself, I know what's going to happen if we do that. You're going to take this day that the Lord has given you to focus on Him and rest your body, and you're going to fill it up with junk. Because that's what we do, right? Now I've got some free time, and how can I use that free time to make it me time? Not recognizing, y'all, that this is not our day. This is not another work day. This is not just another day of the weekend. This is the Lord's day. And I think we would honor the Sabbath well by retraining our entire vocabulary and our calendar and stop referring to it as Sunday, but refer to it as they did in the Bible, as the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. As the Puritans said, this is the marketplace of the soul. That all week, I've got a thousand messages in my mind telling me to run here and to run there, to do this and to do that. And I don't rest and I don't reflect on God. And God graciously has given me this day to rest to reflect on the reality of the resurrection, to fellowship with His people, which recharges my spiritual batteries, and to worship Him so that I can live the life that He wants me to have and not just the life I want. Y'all, look, we're not all on anxiety and depression medicine because we're doing so great. It's not because we're all joyful, content, peaceful people. But go back to Genesis chapter number 2. There is no hurry in God. There's no rest in God. There's no worry in God. There's no anxiety in God. There's no stress in God. And what God is saying to you today is come and enjoy that. Benefit from that. Enjoy it. So come to worship on Sundays. At our church, we have worship on Sunday evenings. And I know, y'all, honestly, I know that can be a lot. I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old that have to take a nap on Sunday. And because of my schedule today, I'm going to have to interrupt that nap. And so I'm going to have to fight demons before I come back to church to preach tonight. (laughs) It's hard. I know. I get it. I understand. But I also want to say to you today, this day is holy to the Lord. This is a day where we can do more than just binge watching TV. This is a day when we can do more than just cramming our schedules full. This is a day that is sanctified to the Lord. That we have the opportunity to book in this day by worshiping God, by hearing the Word of God taught, and by being around His people. And I would dare say that even though we often do have excuses that seem very, very good about why it's hard to get back on Sunday nights, and it is very, very hard sometimes, not one of those excuses is concerned about the welfare of your soul. Not one of them. Not one of them is concerned about what God is concerned about in this command that you live a life of peace and of spiritual health and spiritual wellness. Now, sometimes we hear this command and think, well, is it, is it wrong for me to work on Sundays? And Christians have, have answered this question thoughtfully over the years. And what they said is that there are traditionally understood there are three types of work that are permissible for believers to do on Sundays. Let me give them to you. The first is called works of piety. That would be, like, look, it takes work to to practice for the choir. 
It takes work to get here early. It takes work to teach a Sunday school lesson well. It takes work to preach a sermon. Those things take work. But those jobs, those activities are designed to bring people into Sabbath rest, to remind people of the gospel. And so those works are not violations of the Sabbath. Christians have also said they're works of necessity. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 2 and says, What are you going to do if you have a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day? Lassie comes to you and says, little Timmy's falling in the well. What are you going to do on Sunday? You're not going to say, buddy, hang in there. I'll see you in the morning. You're going to get him out. And that bleeds over into the third type of work, and that's works of mercy. There are certain vocations, there are certain jobs that just by nature of what they perform and what they offer, we need people to perform those jobs even on the Sabbath day, even on the Lord's day. I see Brother Connor back there. Brother Connor's a firefighter, and often by virtue of his job, he's out of church on Sundays. But if my house catches fire this afternoon, I hope I can call somebody who's not going to say, we'll be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. But I hope that somebody's going to come on the Lord's Day. Why? Because in fighting that fire, in providing medical care, in doing those kind of vocations, what are they doing? They're offering the kind of healing that the Sabbath is supposed to offer. And we recognize those are good works to do. But that's different, y'all, than waiting tables and delivering pizzas, right? It's a little bit different. But for many of us, this is just another day. This text tells us it is the Lord's day. It's a unique day. It's a day we should prepare for. And it's a day that we should worship. Thomas Watson, a great old Puritan preacher, said in that unique Puritan way, he said about the Sabbath, he said, the heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the Word. That's what we hope happens here when we meet together on the Lord's Day. Our hearts get cold, don't they? Cold by living in a world of sin. Cold because of our own disobedience. Cold because of our doubts and our struggles, our busyness and our work. And what we hope happens is that we come together with our frozen cold hearts on Sundays and the Word of God melts our hearts reminds us of God, reminds us of the rest that we have in Jesus, points us to our hope of heaven, assures us of our faith, and changes us so that we live from the rest we enjoy today. Do you notice Do you notice the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? That in the Old Covenant, the saints of God worked all week and then rested on Saturday. But you and I begin our week today, the first day of the week. We work out of a place of rest. Just as we work for the Lord out of the rest we have in Jesus. Because He's done it all. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Rest. I pray you've worshipped. I pray you've been thawed out a little bit. Rest. I know there's one of our young families in the house. They've got small, in a church. They've got small children in their house. And their standing rule is that on Sundays, we nap. And so the arrangement at their house is mom's going to take a nap, the kids are going to take a nap, and dad's going to stay up to make sure they all rest. And he's going to police the children. Go back to bed for the glory of God. That's a good father and a good husband, by the way. I know one young family that on their way to church, they've got small children on their way to church, the mother says that today on the Lord's Day we listen to Jesus music on the way to church. You can listen to Anthrax and Slayer on your own time, but today, we're going to listen to Jesus' music. 
Read a Bible story with your kids today. Eat a good lunch. Load up on carbs. Take a nap. And come back ready to worship this evening. Live in the rhythm that God wants you to live. Get off the hamster wheel. Get off the rat race. And honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's stand together this morning. Let me pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, many of us today feel like we've honored the Lord's day and honored the Sabbath because we're here in church. But, God, the truth is, while our bodies may be here, some of our minds have been other places. Our minds have been reliving the week we've had or worrying about the week that is to come. Some have already thought of the many, many things that they have to do today that are going to keep them from entering into rest. God, I pray that we would so reverence you and so align the rhythms of our life with the truth of the resurrection that we would be arrested people, that we would take advantage of this law as a good gift from you, and that today we would truly rest and we would truly worship. Lord, I'm tired. Others are tired. Help us to rest in Jesus. Help us to rest in him. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has mistakenly believed that the message of Christianity is that we work to earn your love, I pray they would hear that invitation from Jesus that you invite us to rest because you've done it all. If there's somebody here that's being disobedient to your commands in any way so that their life is out of harmony with the life you want them to have, Father, bring them to confession and repentance and bring them into rest and peace in their hearts. Lord, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. Shepherd us and do your work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.